before getting to this episode, I just want to apologize for the delay. I know it's been a couple weeks since I put out my last episode. I went through some personal issues that I needed to take care of. Um, everything's fine, but it's 2020, y'all, so I apologize, but hopefully get back on track and hope you enjoyed the rest of these episodes. Thanks for hanging in. Hello, and welcome to the Gundam Sentinel Podcast. My name is Gordon, and I'll be your host of this limited run series. Gundam Sentinel is a side story set in the Universal Century timeline of Mobiles to Gundam. I've always loved this IP, and I wanted to share my love analysis of this with you. This does, however, contain spoilers for other works in the Universal Century timeline, so be warned. I hope you guys enjoy. Chapter 12 Pursuit Tsuhikiki Pegasus 3 was originally destined to arrive at Lagrange Point 1 to pursue the new designs in INO's fleet. However, the Neozeon fleet had separated from the new designs and started to fire new warning shots. Several gods and mobile suits flew towards the, bur- the bridge of the Pegasus 3. Neozeon claimed that they did not want to start a fight, but they wanted to provoke the Pegasus 3. The Federation gave strict orders to not fire at these harassing units, so all the Pegasus 3 could do was to evade. Captain Heathrow ordered his ship to maintain cruising speed as it headed towards its destination. The mobile suit pilots were waiting in the ready room, staring intently at the monitors, looking at the Neozeon mobile suit provocative maneuvers. Roots, Crypt, and West were trying to eat a hot meal as they were arguing. Roots was, as you can only imagine, complaining yet again, and this time over the food choices that had not changed in over a week. West was eating his meal when he told Roots to relax because they were in fact in the military and didn't have much choice. Hey, while you guys talk about the military, who decides that just because you're in the army you have to deal with all this crap? To me, the army is just a professional training center because they've always accepted troublemakers like me. Once I've learned everything the army's got to offer, I'm out of here. I don't know if it was good luck or bad luck but that I actually got chosen to pilot a mobile suit and get sent out here to kill people. Tex. To you, killing people is no big deal, right? Probably did it a while when you were in Karaba. You're pretty much an expert. Normally, Wes was mellow, but his eyes revealed an intense look. Crypt noticed it and quickly interrupted. Didn't you always used to say that you wanted to go into battle and test your skills? Yeah, I didn't know how it felt to kill someone back then. I thought fighting in a war would be cool and easy. Now, I never make such a statement. You make it sound so easy. You're a killer now, too. Besides, Tex doesn't kill people because he likes it. I'm the same way myself. Uncle West, how come I've never seen you get so angry before? Cribs points his plastic fork at him. Fork at him. Actually, what you said was right. I don't have any right to be angry. In reality, all ideologies were thought up so that everyone could have their own perspective on things. That's why everything's based on the minority fall and the majority. However, that's also why humans go into war. Don't you guys think humans are pretty strange like that? Man, I can't figure out complicated things like that. I'm sure Roots is with me on this. Everything he does is based off instincts and experience. Don't tell me he's a new type after all. No, he just has a free heart. He's a very normal person, which is why he can't bear the restrictions placed on him by the government and by society. To me, He's just a parentless orphan. Meanwhile, Kray sat inside the control room of the Zodiac. 
the three cruisers of the nudicides arrived in the region of Penta. Inside Penta were three large Enterprise-class shuttles that were needed by Kray's team. The new decide ships constantly transmit their IFF codes or identification-friendly or foe codes while approaching. Penta thought they were an advanced team for the main fleet. The Zodiac was currently disengaged from the Brave, so to Penta, it looked like the fleet consisted of four large ships. The five Zeku suits were hidden inside artificial capsule-created asteroids, waiting for the chance to launch a surprise attack. Finally, the timers on board all of the vessels reached zero. It's party time! At Cray's order, all the ships, mobile suits, and the Zodiac rushed full speed towards Penta. Penta wasn't expected to be completely defenseless. The mobile suits were sent to pre-designated coordinates and the cruisers stopped near the station. The Zodiac opened up the two massive megaparticle cannons that were exposed. The ships entered the hangar bay. Soldiers in mobile suits carried rifles entered the station. We are the new decides. In order to realize justice, we have come to take control of Penta. We have a mobile armor, mobile suits, and other military equipment currently in our position or possession. If we encounter any resistance, we will not hesitate to destroy Penta. Those who surrender will not be harmed, but if anyone dares resist, we will kill every single one of you. Cray broadcasted the transmission several times in an intimidating tone. Captain Cray, I can't help but be reminded of when we first revolted at Peasant, sighed, setting, sitting at the other control station on board the Zodiac said. The mobile armors had two control stations, locating the Zodiac's top and bottom sides as dictated by the machine's lengthwise axis. Right, but back then we had many more comrades in mobile suits. It all began at Peasant. He never imagined that this new beginning would end up being so similar to the last one. Most of the crew surrendered save for some officers. However, in two hours, all fighting stopped and Penta was captured. Cray asked an officer if the shuttles were okay. Completely undamaged, no problems. We're going to load the goods next. Heh, <laughs> well done. Once Penta had been captured, the Zodiac immediately docked there to allow Cray to enter the station and monitor the situation. The mobile suit's troops entered the hangar through the two entrances located in the central part of Penta. From the outside, no signs of battle could be seen. The only things seemingly out of the ordinary were the Musai-class cruiser and gigantic mobile armor anchored at the port. However, the Earth Federation forces had collected and modified several Musai-class cruisers after the war for use by reserves at colonies. Because the cruiser was unarmed, it was easy to mistake for a supplier transport ship. The Federation forces did not have any data on the Zodiac provided by the Neo Zeon, and so it was easy to mistake it for a large support ship. The sun rose from behind the Earth to Penta's rear. Meanwhile, Neo Zeon continued to harass the Pegasus III. Every officer, non-com, and pilot was on edge. A navigation officer informed Captain Heathrow that six hours has now elapsed. Fine. The enemy has to be tired by now. Put the mobile suit squadron on combat alert around the ship and get out of here as fast as you can. But Commander, that could result in conflict with the enemy. It won't. The enemy will definitely avoid us. They are not looking to start a war now either. It doesn't matter. Just get us out of here as fast as you can. 
I'll bear all responsibility. The ship was now at level 1 combat status. On the hangar deck, the S-Gundam was separated into its three base components. Normally the S-Gundam would not be separated as a more effective and combined form. However, due to attrition with all three FAS suits destroyed and the Zeta Pluses and Neros were undergoing maintenance, the Pegasus III was forced to separate the Gundam to fill the gap in their combat abilities. Crypt was in the G-Attacker, which formed the top portion of the S-Gundam. West was in the G-Bomber, which formed the bottom of the S-Gundam. Roots were piled the central core fighter. The three fighters were launched from Pegasus III and flew alongside the mothership. What a weak show of force. Oh well, we've got no other choice, since the Neros are all under maintenance, Crypt said. Incoming! Three Gaza Seas appeared from above and closed into the Pegasus III in a standard formation. Roots felt that the Neozeon forces were using the Pegasus for target practice. He wasn't having it. He directed his core fighter towards the pursuing Gazas. Shin and Tex followed closely behind. One, the Gaza Sea pilots report that three enemy craft were heading towards them quickly. Relax. It's nothing to be afraid of. They're only trying to intimidate us. They wouldn't dare attack. Either way, they just made themselves the new targets of our exercise. The squadron leader laughed, but just as he did, the fighters flew past him at an extremely close distance. Are they insane? Don't tell me they want to fight! The core fighter cut in front of the Gaza's formation flight path preventing them from moving forward. It did a barrel, barrel roll and flew back to the rear end of the formations as the G-Attacker G-Bomber started firing their cannons. Roots showed a smile full of malice, then aimed at the lead Gaza. The Gaza's he's cockpit was filled with the loud sound of a warning siren. Commander, the enemy fighter's got a laser lock on me. What? Are they serious? Could the Federation really have declared war? Evade! The Gaza team did a 180 degree turn and flew back to their ship. Roots laughed and mocked them for their cowardice. His wingman complimented his tactics. Suddenly, they saw the Pegasus III fire its main thrusters and accelerate away. A ball of light could be seen behind it. Later, Heathrow called Mannings into his cannon and told him that six hours ago, the new decides remnants occupied Penta. A cover of the song At the End of the Rainbow was on in the background. They were definitely distracting us to buy time, but what are they trying to accomplish by occupying Penta? About that, I'm not even sure he's still alive. However, it's a fact that they have a brilliant mind with them. It's very possible they thought of a plan that we could never have predicted. Earlier, the Neozeon fleet was intentionally trying to hinder us. With that in mind, the two parties had probably already split up, no? As long as that man is still alive, they will not form an alliance with Zeon. You were that confident? Because something that happened in the past, something personal. Yes, I am. Heathrow asked him what the status of the mobile suit team on board was. Mangs pulled out a small computer from his pocket, maybe an iPhone 108, and looked at the status of the maintenance. We can launch the two Zeta Pluses in the S Gundam, but the nearest squadron isn't ready yet. Currently, 
the only usable Nero's by trainer suit. Heatho realized that this would not be enough. He ordered Mangs to reorganize the squadron. Commander, I've already made arrangements. I'll leave the Escutum in the hands of Roots, West, and Crypt. We'll keep it separated to increase our numbers. Crypt is one of the Escutum's backup pilots, and West's humble nature will keep these hotheads in line. Additionally, Sigmund will remain as the pilot of one of the Zeta Pluses. I was thinking of letting Chun Young from the Nero Squadron pilot the other suit. He's already put in enough time in the simulator to be qualified to use it. That way, although it's not ideal, we'll have five deployable machines on board the ship. Isn't your Nero available? Heathrow laughed and pointed at Mannings. Well, we can use it to fill out our numbers, but I was talking about the number of suits we can actually use in combat. Three and green Zakus form the straight line and charge the white GM. In the background, a mushroom-shaped space fortress illuminated by the beams of light. The wings of the GM were destroyed. The pilot was terrified. So terrified, he could not cry out. The Zakus transformed into demons, flying around him, mocking him. They drew long blades and cut across the GM's body. He was bloodied in the cockpit when suddenly a white suit appeared. However, it was missing his right leg. Stole! Suddenly, Cray awoke from his horrible nightmare. He lay in his sweat as he relived an encounter from the One Year War at Abawaku. His scream woke up Side, who was in another bed next to his. He looked at Side and said he was okay and just couldn't sleep well. Side was not convinced and asked Cray again if he was okay. He reminded him that their mission was to escort the Lion Team and drop the Zodiac. Cray said he needed to look at the control systems of the Zodiac. Side accompany him. The date. April 4th. 0500 Earth Standard Time. In three hours, the operation would begin. They planned to escort the Lion Team onto Dakar and then drop the Zodiac. Cray suggested that he and Side should get better acquainted with the controls and to make final adjustments. The mobile armor had been fitted with a pseudo-Sykamu system, and of a very large missile found originally on Penta. The purpose wasn't to fire the weapon itself, but to provide a larger explosive force during the drop. The target was the Federation Forces Commanding Office. The missile lacked any fire control system. The plan was once the mobile armor was directed at its drop point, to leave the Zodiac and board a shuttle. April 4th. 0600 hours Earth Standard Time. The Pegasus 3 entered a zone where they could oversee Penta. Heathrow ordered the ship to stop and ordered the deployment of recon craft. One hour prior, Heathrow was ordered by the Federation Force Commanding Office to evaluate the military strength of Penta. The communications officer informed Heathrow of images from the recon were back. One battleship, one cruiser. The battleship was probably the Bull Run. There are three shuttles. Those should originally originally belong to Penta, right? Do they intend to land on Earth? The battleship seems to be badly damaged. Should we launch the mobile suit squadron to deal with the final blow? Mannings, who was viewing the images from the pilot's waiting room, used the ship's intercom to raise a suggestion to Heathrow. Those shuttles are the real problem. Based on their carrying capacity, they can't just be returning captives. 
Let's target those shuttles and attack only them. How long until launch preparations are complete? We're ready any time. Those kids have been waiting for hours. They're getting restless. In order to increase our chance of success, we should attack as soon as we can. Right. I'll give you half an hour. G-Attacker, G-Bomber, G-Core Fighter, and the two Zeta Plus were all ready. Chang Young was in Zeta Plus 1. Sigma was in number 2. Wes and Chris were in the G-Attacker and Bomber, while Roots was in the G-Core Fighter. Listen carefully. This is the decisive battle. Don't screw it up. Coincidentally, just as they received Mang's transmission, the counter reads zero. Let's go, guys. Root shouted freely and lit his thrusters. The machines behind the G-Core fire did the same, forming balls of light with hot cores. The five space fighters, including the two Zeta Pluses that were in Wave Rider mode, formed a beautiful trail of light as they charged fiercely towards Penta. So for this episode, we're going to visit an old friend. We're going to talk more about the main mobile suit of the series, S Gundam or Superior Gundam. In Chapter 3, the S Gundam made its debut. I figured since it is, after all, the main hero of mobile suit, it deserves a little bit more of an analysis. And of course, it does contain Alice, which has also been featured. I'll talk a lot more about Alice in the last episode, so I don't want to give away any spoilers. All in good time. MSA-01 is the codename, as you may, may remember. MS stands for Mobile Suit, and A is for Anaheim Electronics, the famous main weapon manufacturer in the Universal Century that provides arms for the Earth Federation forces, Titans, Museon, and AUG. FXA-08GB is the codename for its various components of the Mobile Suit uh, S Gundam. The G-Attacker's overall length is 21.16 meters. The wingspan is also 21.16 meters. Total weight of 36.54 tons. It has four rocket thrusters capable of producing each 11,200 kilograms worth of thrust. It has for armament a backpack and two beam cannons with an output of 12 megawatts. The G-Bomber, overall length when equipped as standard is 25.49 meters. When equipped with a smart gun, such as the one that Superior Gunham uses, it's increased 32.98 meters. A wingspan of 18.43 meters, total weight, weight rather of 24.36 tons. Rocket thrust that has a total of two thrusters capable of producing 24,700 kilograms worth of thrust. It has a for fixed armament. Uh, two of the beam cannons which are on the thigh when it's in mobile suit form with an output of 14 megawatts. The G-Core, or the Core Fighter, is overall length is 7.92 meters, a wingspan of 7.63 meters, total weight of 12 tons, or 12.1 tons. It has four thrusters capable of producing each 4,128 kilograms, and it has four missile launchers. The S Gundam is a transformable mobile suit or TMS with a core block system. The mobile suit consists of three parts centered on the core block, each which can be transformed to take a flight form. A part, which is the upper body and the backpack, are the G attacker. 
the B part, lower bodies of the G bomber, and the C parts, or the core block, is the G core. Similarly, the fourth generation mobile suit Gundam Double Zeta is also a core block type, but the S Gundam has a cockpit, cockpit for each of the three parts. As the name suggests, the G attacker is an aircraft with excellent attack power and makes effective use of the two beam cannons mounted on the back of the, in its mobile suit form. The balance of the aircraft is better than that of the G bomber. The G bomber makes up the main body of the S Gundam and can carry the beam smart gun attached and then can be used also in its mobile suit form. Of course, it's also possible to set two normal beam cannons in the direction of travel. There are a total of four hardpoints on the underside of the main wing. The G-Core can also be used as a booster, and if you attach a beam cannon to the booster pack, it can be an excellent mobile suit, or rather, uh, mecha in terms of firepower. In terms of design, it represents an evolution from even Double Zeta Gundam, which in terms of cannon, was also in use at this time by Judo Ashita. Like Double Zeta, S-Gundam is a transformable mobile suit that is based on a core block system that combines with other parts, kind of like Voltron I guess, to become a more powerful mobile suit. Also like Double Zeta Gundam, the S Gundam is a modular design. It can have enhancements added on like the enhanced Double Zeta or FAS of both the TV show and as depicted in Gundam Sentinel. In this case, S Gundam can actually be increased to its capability to the extraordinarily superior Gundam or EXS and Booster Gundam. MSC-010 or Double Zeta did have at least one advantage to the S Gundam in one way in that it possessed the biosensor like the Zeta Gundam that came before. This serves as an interface so new types can enhance their abilities. S Gundam does not have any such enhancements or weapons designed for new types such as bits, funnels, or cycling systems. It does of course have the income system that's not the same. It however does have an advantage in that the computer is even more advanced. The learning computer of the RX-78 which has actual artificial intelligence. Only time will tell what will become of Alice. At first this week I wasn't sure about doing a deep dive. However, when I looked back at the chapter I figured we could actually touch upon at least a little bit about the song At the End of the Rainbow. It was featured briefly in this chapter as a song that was playing in the background in Heathrow's cabin when Mannings went to get a sit rep on Penta. The song is also known as The End and was released in 1958 by Earl Grant. It was also covered by Nancy Sinatra and Steve Lawrence. Who would have thought we were talking about Nancy Sinatra in a Gundam podcast? Earl Grant's voice reminds me um, a lot of Nat, Nat King Cole. I provide a link of the song from YouTube in the show notes. Here are the lyrics. At the end of a rainbow, you'll find a pot of gold. At the end of a story, you'll find it's all been told. But our love has a treasure. Our hearts always spend. And has a story without any end. At the end of a river, the water stops its flow. At the end of a highway, there's no place you can go. But just tell me you love, and you're only mine. And our love will go on till the end of time, at the end of a river, the water. It's a song that seems to suggest perhaps it's impossible to get to the end of an actual rainbow and as such represents an unattainable goal or wish. This is not the only time this song will be referenced, at least indirectly in Gundam. 
not going to get too far ahead into it, but in episode 3 of Gundam Double Weighty's titles, Nije no Hateni Niwa, or in English, at, at the End of the Rainbow. As always, there are references of this episode in the show notes. Next episode, Chapter 13, Triple Attack. The Pegasus 3 charges in to attack the new decides. Captain Cray and Lieutenant Fastside board the Zodiac in response. And Manning's launches from the Pegasus 3 to enter the fray in a mobile suit for the first time since the One Year War. Please be sure to check out the Twitter page at Gundam Sentinel 2, Instagram at Gundam Sentinel Podcast, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Gundam Sentinel Podcast. If you like what you hear, please rate and give a review on whatever means you listen to this podcast and tell your Gundam-loving otaku friend to check it out. Until next time.